listening to Johnny's Secret Stash. This is John Goldman, and you're listening to us through Radio Harbor Country, which is WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. Johnny's Secret Stash is underwritten by Harbor Country Hydroponics. For everything you need to grow your own secret stash. Uh, we are f- very happy to have a special group of guests with us today. Members of Mr. Blotto, uh, an awesome jam band out of the Chicago area, but uh, really playing all over the place. Uh, and looking forward to getting a chance to talk with Paul Bolger, Paul Bolger who's the lead vocals, acoustic guitar player, the guy at the front of the stage, and for those who aren't as familiar with Mr. Blotto, might even think that that is Mr. Blotto and that everyone is there in support of him, but the band is actually Mr. Blotto. Uh, and uh, we're also happy to talk with Mark Haig, who's the awesome uh, lead guitarist for Mr. Blotto. Looking forward to doing that. Before we get there, let's check out one of their songs from their... 2016 EP Rules of the Road and here we go
That was Mr. Blotto with Someday Soon off of their 2016 EP, Rules of the Road. And we are very excited to have uh, Paul Bolger and Mark Haig by phone while uh, we're in the studio talking to them. Uh, looking forward to talking to them. Two, one. All right, I am here with Paul Bolger and Mark Haig from Mr. Blotto. And Mr. Blotto is a Chicago-based uh, jam band um, with a number of uh, recordings under their belt, but it's the live shows that make it all. And uh, there's sort of this um, group of people that will also record their shows, and so there's a multitude of awesome live recordings out there somewhere. Well, we can talk about that. And Mark and Paul, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing Thank today? You, sir. Uh, and Thanks. I. Good to be with you at this ungodly early hour of noon. <laughs> yeah, I know. Our voices are all like kind of scratchy and, and all that. Uh, you guys are, I, I'm, I'm in Three Oaks, Michigan right now, and I know that you're on your, on your way up here for a show this afternoon or later tonight at uh, Babes in Benton Harbor. That's going to be right. an exciting, and that's a, I think we just chit-chatted, that's a new venue for you guys? Yeah, we yeah. haven't uh, we haven't been in that one before. The owner is a fan of ours from way back, and he uh, called and said he wanted to pull the trigger and have us come into his bar. We're like, okay, so we're gonna bring the whole, you know, dog and pony show, lotto sound system, everything. All so right, should be a should be a humdinger. Yeah, and and you guys play a ton of shows, even on a weekly basis. I mean, what three, four shows a week probably from just sort of my. Uh, yeah, I mean, about 150 a year, so it averages three a week. Yeah, you know, in the um, summer it can be five in a row, and in the winter you can have just two in, in one week in any given week. But it averages to three. Keeps us busy. Keeps yeah, us out of trouble for sure. Some of us, most of us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you guys have um, been around since 1991. I mean, we're on 2000, approaching the end of 2019. That's 28 years of playing together, and that's yeah. quite an amazing achievement. Um, tell me a little bit about the, you know, the rest of the band, how you guys got it formed in '91. You know how that all came together. Well, it was you know, it was um, it was just getting together and playing. You know, groovy. We wanted to groove. That was our main thing. We wanted a rhythm section that just made people move, you know. Were we you, found Al and our, were, we were, found Al and our drummer in a, in a Polish bar. He's from uh, Krakow, Poland. And he had come over on some big hard rock tour and uh, overstayed his visa and was living underground, basically. <laughs> and we heard him play. We're like, oh, my God, listen to the groove on this guy. And he didn't speak really good English, but he spoke enough to communicate. And we like, dude, we're starting a band and... Uh, you know, we're gonna play some Grateful Dead. He's Grateful Who. He had never heard of them. You know, he'd all, he, he knew all this. You know, he knew the Scorpions and you know all this other and jazz. He was way into jazz. So we started in that um, four piece without keys, and uh, we just started playing. And then we started. We were always writers. My brother and I were always writers, and uh, I think Mark was always a writer too before he got with us. And so the songs came pretty quickly, and so we're doing dead covers and Almond Brothers and old Ray Charles and you know 
Billy Holiday and stuff like that, stuff that we liked, along with Almonds and Dead and stuff like that. And then we were writing all the you know stuff right from the get-go, so we put out an album in our first year. And it never stopped, you know. We added a Hammond organ because we love that. And it's kind of just been falling uphill for 28 years. You know, awesome. Uh, good metaphor. Oh, we want to do, hey, let's do that. You know, let's try that. <laughs> if it doesn't work, then we move on. If it works, we incorporate it. Yeah. Uh, and Paul, you and your brother Mike, um, who's a bass player for the band, had you played with other other players before? You know, what was going on before you oh, yeah. decided I mean, to... Our first, our first, you know, we used to jam in the furnace room of our house. You know, I played drums and sang and he played guitar and uh, we ended up starting a band in the summer with these uh, cats up in Michigan and, and they were Marty Lloyd and uh, Wayne Healy from Freddie Jones Band. So oh, that yeah. was uh, one of our first bands and we were, you know, high school the early years of high school writing originals and playing and stuff like that and then they went on and did their thing we went on and did our thing where did and you then, and uh, uh mike grow up what town well our dad was a car dealer so we lived all over illinois we lived in, we were born in chicago and then we lived okay. in harvard illinois up near the border we lived sure. in kankakee illinois back to the west side we were in college oh yeah for sure uh, all so, over the place yeah i went to like five grade schools <laughs> two high schools <laughs> One college. But with the music, that probably made it easier to get along with people well, and to meet have, new people. Well, it was good to have brothers. It was good to be brothers. I mean, Mark can test this, too. He's got brothers that he's close with, you know. And it's good when you have brothers. I mean, brothers are always going to fight, but we, we got along more than we didn't get along. Yeah. Was, that was a good when you're moving that you're not, like, standing alone, like, oh, God, here I'm in a new town. I know nobody. I don't have any. Yeah, you, you can know, really like, rely on I brothers. each other. We had our music, you know. Did so, uh, um, did you and Mike um, play it? I'm sorry. Yeah, did you and Mike play together um, in more than one band prior to the one with the guys from Michigan? Um, no, that was really our band. That was it. And by the time we went to college, we went to different colleges, and so we didn't we didn't really have a band through those years with each other. And I had a college band that was a cover band uh, in the '80s. You know, and um, we didn't really get back together until Pilato started, and I couldn't find a bass player. And uh, <laughs> Chief, we call him Chief, right? Mike is Chief. Oh, yeah? Okay. Chief had uh, gone to law school and became a lawyer. And, no way. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was a prosecutor that. for the state's attorney. He was putting oh, bangers in jail. This is Cook County? Cook County state's attorney? Yeah, yeah. 23rd oh, in California. He was there all the time. He worked under Pincham and uh, oh yeah, Daly. Eugene Pincham, Richie yeah, Daly. Yeah, I remember when those guys yeah, were state that whole crew. So yeah. he was like using the thick of it, you know. But I needed a bass player, and uh, the guy we had in the beginning was a fall down drunk. We couldn't we couldn't get him to rehearse sober. We're like, oh my god, we're gonna do this. I said, Chief, <laughs> I said, Chief uh, you know, your guitar player, you can play bass. You know, you gotta play bass for me for a little bit. And he's like, Yeah, sure, I'd love to. And he jumped in and. The band took off, and it was like, oh, my God, now he's doing both. And thank God he's one of these people that doesn't require sleep. So he would, like, rock until three. <laughs> go to court. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Eventually he had, to, he had to make a choice, so he quit the law gig and joined the band. And it was an uncomfortable Thanksgiving that year at my house because of <laughs> My mom was like, you're quitting your law career <laughs> to join your brother's band? <laughs> That's amazing. Who's older, you or Mike? 
He is. He's a year and a half old. Oh, okay. He's an old man now. Yeah, I mean, you guys are. I mean, certainly yeah, yeah. when you're growing up and and you're ten and he's like maybe two grades older than you, that, that makes a big difference. Oh, only one grade. That that makes a big difference, though. And, but now you know it's like months. He's an old now man. you're talking about I'm months. Young. I'm yeah. young, but he's an old man. Yeah, you're, you're the kid. <laughs> but that you know, yeah, you don't hear too much about uh, attorneys dropping out and and, uh, and joining, joining jam bands. Joining jam bands. <laughs> But it should happen more often, really, I think. It there, really there's, should. There's I mean, sort of too many attorneys. <laughs> well, he was around like also in that. Oh, what's that? It's not such getting picked on by local law enforcement, too. I mean, he's gotten us out of a few jams in our day. No pun intended, but I, I hear what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, that like, you know, oh, hey, Just oh, is that the, Mike back there? What's going on? Like, you, know, you don't have the right to get on our bus, that kind of thing. Oh, you yeah, know? that does help. <laughs> yeah, That's, we were in a... We were in Colorado. We had just played, um, Mark, what was that place in uh, Indianapolis? Bluebird. A uh, Bluebird. Goolsbees or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And I was, when I was down there, I picked up their local, like, entertainment, uh, you know, entertainer kind of magazine. And in it was a, um, a, a little ad from a local lawyer saying, this is what you need to know if a cop wants to search your vehicle. Something like that. It was a little blurb. Yeah. I showed it to Chief and I said, Is this legit? He goes, Yeah, memorize that. I said, Okay. Because I'm constantly memorizing lyrics and stuff. I just treated it like a song, you know? So I had it in my head memorized. And then we're going out to uh, Colorado um, in about. We're in Nebraska at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like uh, in our old school bus. We, had a, we have a tour bus now, but our first one was a converted school bus with a trailer. And, uh, wouldn't draw too much cr- attention. Was it painted yeah. like a further bus or anything was, like that? No, it wasn't like that, but it was <laughs> pretty much purple and white. <laughs> it was like candy apple purple and white, and you know, it's just you couldn't miss it. Yeah. So we're <laughs> cruising in homemade into- bunk beds. Yeah. Out of two yeah. by fours. Oh, that that's got to be the station wagon, though. I mean, to to be able to stretch out while you're on while you're doing oh, all that great. driving must have been awesome. So oh, no, you got pulled over in Nebraska on the way to Colorado? Yeah, yeah. And we're rolling in and uh was this, at 9 a.m. Was this pre wreck? Pre wreck pot in Cal- Colorado? Oh my oh, god, yeah. Oh, it was a long yeah, time ago. Gotcha. Oh. Yeah, yeah, dude. It was yeah. So we had we had, we had all band, our crew guys crew and they rolled dirty, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> we get pulled over. We get pulled over by this little cop who's about he looks about twelve. You know, he's got a little crew cut. Yeah. He's young kid. And we were young then, too, but he was really young. Really, really. He pulls us over, and he's like, yeah, he's like, uh, hey, guys, I noticed you were swerving there. And we're like, well, it's a construction. I mean, it, literally, it was a construction zone with those lit, you know, things moving off to the shoulder and back onto the high. It was like, oh. of course we're swerving, you know? Uh-huh, sure. So it was his little excuse to get in our door, and he goes, well, I just want to let you know, uh, or I want to know if there's anything you want to tell me that's on the bus before I get on board. I said, get on board. He goes, yeah, I'm going to search the bus. I said, no, you're not. And he looked at me like, what? <laughs> and chief was standing right behind me. And he was like, chief had told me if anything ever goes down. He said, you got the thing memorized. You do all the talking. Cause I'm the attorney. I'm going to stand back and not be involved until I'm involved. Right. So yeah. that later in court, he would be witnessing to himself. He would be outside, whatever. Some- yeah. Yeah. Some greasy lawyer angle. <laughs> <laughs> so, From your brother. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm standing there, and the little cop goes, uh, is there anything I need to know? I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, like, uh, you know, weapons or drugs. I said, I said, officer, we're from Chicago. Uh, we're not, you know, we're not packing heat. Not, doesn't crack a smile. He's all business. He goes, anything I need to know? I said, yeah. I said, you're not invited to get onto our bus or to search our per- person or property or the premises the bus is on without a lawyer present. That's what you need to know. And he looked at me like, and I and I noticed all the crew like kind of roll out of their bunks and look up because they can hear what's going on. They're like, are we going to have to do something drastic back here before this guy comes on board or is this going to work? And the guy's like, I'll be right back. He goes back to his cop car and he comes back. Oh, and I said, but if you're going to give us a ticket, I'd appreciate it if you give us a warning ticket and uh, then we'll be on our way. And he was like furious, you know, so he goes back to his cop car. He comes back up and he said, you can have a nice day and, and let us go. <laughs> so he must have gone back to the cop car and called the older cops. Yeah. And the older cops probably said, yeah, they know their rights. You're not going to get them on that. <laughs> yeah, right. <You> know? Drat. <laughs> so then you could hear the entire bus go, <laughs> I am relieved. Yeah, for sure. So it's good to have a lawyer in the band. Yeah, yeah. Well, although you did all the work on that one, and yeah, but he's the one who told me. Yeah, you know, yeah. Six weeks before that, memorize that. Right. Like, okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, I do not consent to you getting on this bus. You and know, you do not have my consent or our to property or right. the premises. Good one. Without a lawyer present. Boom! Slam dunk. Drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, judging from our crew at the time, this was like, remember, Mark, this was like Gilmore and uh, Mikey and some it of those guys. We got pulled over, I think, and they were swallowing all sorts of different things. <laughs> 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 for a, a fun rest right. of the trip. Yeah. They, they, just in case they swallowed everything. So we went to breakfast and they were at Denny's and they're like, look at the colors, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But judging from our crew at the time, we would have. We would have still been in Colorado prison. Actually, they would let us out now because. Yeah, right. Everything would have been uh, exculpated or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Mark, in, prior to joining Mr. Blotto, what uh, did you play with a band? What What was your background? Well, I started playing when I was about 12 years old and just transcribing like Jimi Hendrix and blues, stuff like that. And we. I grew up in a house where we had one of those half-finished basements with a pool table. So it was a perfect spot for me and my friends in junior high and then high school to jam. So we always had the drum set down there. And I would play with all sorts of different guys from high school. And I actually had a band. I was in a band when I was a freshman. We were called the crew before Motley Crew. <laughs> CRU with all with, with all seniors, uh-huh. and so they kind of had this established band, and they heard about me through my older brother. I could kind of play any kind of cover song, so that that was really my first band where we would play at concerts and uh, by concerts I mean like Street Fest and Oak Park and Forest Park. And then high school parties, but we had a repertoire of like nine songs. So by the second set, we'd be playing the same as the first set. (laughs) (laughs) But it it was a blast. And I just kind of actually learned how to jam that way just by having to stretch stuff out at such an early age. 
basically you have to stretch your guitar solos right for maybe 10 minutes which is <laughs> a, a blast yeah. you know I mean, yeah play. yeah and just feeling that uh, pressure to, which is hard i there. think it's probably hard right when you're playing simple songs like which your first nine songs are going to be fairly simple right it's got to be harder to stretch those yeah you know, one scale and the chords, there's three chords going on in there. you got to really be imaginative to do that. Distracting so within that. probably was good baptism of fire for you, man. Probably, it probably did make you like a natural jammer, you know? Yes, and I um, kind of, for the only four years of my life since then, I went to college and really didn't play in a band at all. I studied film at uh, the University of Madison, Wisconsin, worked in film for about a year after that, after I got my degree. And then I started going to the clubs and watching bands play. And one of my group of friends from junior high, who I played with off and on, had this band called Funk House. It was kind of a big deal in our in Oak Park and River mm -hmm. Forest. It was like a 12-piece band with a three-piece horn section, and everyone was going to see them. And so one night we were at Fitzgerald's in Berwyn. Singer, yeah. And guitar player. Yes. He points at me. He's like, get up here. He takes his guitar off. And I got like 12 bars in the solo, you know, oh, so fun. my adrenaline was flowing and I played my 12 bars and then got off the stage. And I thought, God, that is awesome. I want to do that. Play in front of people. It's a much of a different kind of energy than the uh, film industry. Sure. <laughs> right. More so, immediate uh, gratification, for sure, right? Yes. yes. You have to wait for it to be edited, come out six months later. When so anyway, you, I, was gonna, yeah. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I decided I didn't want to work in film. So uh, the lead guitar player of that band actually said, hey, I can hook you up with gigs that you actually get paid. Like, you get paid to do this? Oh, yeah, but really didn't even think of that. And so I actually did my first paying gig with a DJ from Chicago named Bob Stroud. He did a show on the Loop. I remember Bob Stroud. Yeah, didn't he go to um, Bob Stroud and the Stroud crowd? Yeah, didn't didn't he go to TV afterwards? Bob Stroud. He, I think he did. He did Bl like blonde, curly hair kind of guy. No, 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 oh. no, no. no. Oh, I'm guy. thinking of somebody else. Oh, I'm sorry about that. So, he, he, uh, he, he was a big Motown freak, and he just knew everything about Motown. He had this band called Rockestra, and that was like a 17-piece band with tons of veterans in Chicago. And I was second chair guitar player, and I actually got the call, believe it or not, two nights before this big gig in Chicago. So I learned about 30 Motown songs, and I just <laughs> took a Sharpie, a black Sharpie, and charted them out in my uh, my own style on eight and a half by 11 sheets at my brother's apartment, just crammed all this stuff. <laughs> and, I, and I did the gig, and it was great, and I stayed on that gig for about a year. Then I ended up joining Funk House, the band, because their guitar player had some issues. I'll just leave it at that. So I actually played with them for about four years, and that was an absolute riot. And it was it was not really a jam band environment at all. As a matter of fact, I think I was the only guy in the band that even appreciated the Grateful Dead. And that 
the extended GMs kind of thing. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you uh, hook up with Mr. Blotto? Well, I had grown up about five doors down from Wayne Healy, who's the lead guitar player for Freddie Jones, as uh-huh. Paul mentioned earlier. So he actually introduced me to Paul years ago about that when I was in Funk House. I think yeah. we met and played at our apartment when I lived with Wayne for a little bit. I think, Paul, you guys were just, it must have been 1991 because you were just starting Blotto. We were just starting, right. Freddie Jones was starting and uh, we, were, we were going at Wayne's apartment in the summer afternoon and it's you and me and you Wayne kind of jammed. You and I played Mojo Work. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Played the, the Clarence Gate Off Brown version. Yeah. And, so, uh, and we had heard we had heard about this guy from Wayno, who lived down the street from him, who was Mark. Yeah, we didn't know at the time who could play Eruption. We're like, really? He goes, God, guy knows it note for note, dude. <laughs> like note for note. And so it was like there was this dude, and then we didn't realize till afterwards that that was Mark. We're like, oh, that was you, okay. And then like this is like Mark had joined the band for a couple of years. We're like, let's do Eruption at a live show. So we're at some place. I think we're at Joe's or something like that. And Mark played the entire, you know, Eddie Van Halen eruption thing, and then we went into whatever song comes after that on their album. It was that was, pretty, that was the only impressive. time we've ever played that. And the, there's a funny thing about that: we were playing at Joe's, and I think it was like we had a big night there. It was probably like 1,200 people or something of all our fans. And as soon as we started the Van Halen thing, there's another part of the bar that has about 30 TVs, and everybody's watching sports. <laughs> So all these other people just kind of ran out of the sports room and like, what is going on? Have they playing Van Halen? <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> you got everyone like excited. Like their antennas. Their antennas yeah. went up from facing uh, the TV yeah. with the sports shoes at the back of the room. Like, what's, there's a disturbance in the forest. <laughs> and I was kind of, we were, I was goofing on David Lee Roth and doing like a high kick thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I lost track of where I was and, Mark says my foot came within a nanometer of his face. Like it went right past <laughs> his face. Like that would have been, that would have been so yeah. rock and roll if I like actually knocked you out in the middle of the <laughs> That would have been yeah. awesome. <laughs> your, your foot was so close to my nose, I thought one of my nose hairs wiggled. That was uh, 99 or so? Is that when you started with them? I started in 1999 in the early spring. And and you had given up the uh, uh So I was career. actually in Uncle John's band for oh, The dead years. cover band, Uncle John's band? Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. yes. And that was, we bef- were just- that was before starting with Mr. Blotto? Yes. Yes, and actually... So you had your teeth cut the, on, on Jerry's parts. Yeah, yeah. I did. But I was <laughs> kind of doing my own thing back then and, and still try to do it. But just have, it, it's hard not to be influenced by Jerry once you start kind of figuring out some of his solos because he's very singular in his approach compared to Eric Clapton, which Clapton became kind of a template for most guitar players. Right, you know, in, in in the blues and rock format, and Jerry just had this completely different approach to to my ears. With it sounded more like Miles Davis uh-huh. on guitar, and so I started really digging into that towards the end of Uncle John's band. 
Was that perhaps, then, did you perceive that as being Jerry's bluegrass influence, you know, uh, with uh, Dave Grisman and uh, John Kahn and, and that whole? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you? It, it, but I uh, didn't have a blue uh, bluegrass background background at all. I didn't listen to it at all, so I didn't know where it was coming from. I'd read oh, right. the journeys in the bluegrass and all sorts of other styles and Django Reinhardt, the gypsy jazz stuff. Sure. But now, over the years, I've played a lot of acoustic bluegrass, and you see that it's very much bluegrass phrasing in a rock band. So it was a really yeah. Good fusion, right? Right. Really, really neat. Well, it, some of that early jug band stuff—I don't remember the name of Jerry's jug band before he got started. With. It was like Mother McCready's Uptown Jug Band or something like yep. that. Right, but that was with Pigpen and and I think yeah. Bob Ware too. But then even before that, there was a, oh. a an album that Jerry had released um, that was you know like he was in a suit and and you know real. Um, formal kind of, yeah yeah before he was able to really relax and just you know do what we wanted to do i don't i right. uh, maybe i'll figure it out by the end of it. but uh, he yeah he um definitely was influenced it's, by it's funny to see guys. old photos of bands like the dead and stuff like that that the beginning of their career was sort of the end of the quote-unquote showbiz era of bands right where they all dressed in the same outfit they would have to wear beetle boots and matching suits and try and do that thing because that's all there was there was no mold yet and then they went on and they all broke that mold and then it looks back like they probably look back and just sort of laugh so hard at those pictures of themselves you know i know i do (laughs) laugh at those pictures it's just like you know what's you know say a similar thing to that is that the the hair band scene in the late 80s or the 80s in LA was a similar deal where they all had to have poofed up hair and makeup on, on these guys and stuff yeah. like that. So you look at Guns N' Roses, shoes. where they ended up, yeah, where they ended up, Guns N' Roses, but you look back to their Welcome to the Jungle video, you know, Axel looks like uh, Farrah Fawcett. He's got like this, a all this huge head of hair. makeup on his face and his hair's teased up and stuff like that. I'm like, well, that was their Beetle Boot suit thing right it was the end of that thing that they broke out of and cobain and them really broke that thing and said screw that we're not doing that we're wearing our flannels and we're not going to wash our hair that day we don't care you know yeah that's like that was probably skirt of the edge of an era as well it is interesting that there was so much explosion and almost rejection of that that old way back in the mid 60s kind of around the time of the of the uh, acid test, I would think. I wonder if yeah. that kind of opened everyone up to be like, "This is BS. We don't need to be wearing these outfits. Let's Wait you know, minute, dig Mr. into the music are you itself." Saying, are you saying that the LSD influence <laughs> made their minds open up and expand and get rid of social norms? I'm not going to sit here and listen to that kind of podcast. <laughs> I think there's there's a, a new understanding of how LSD has you know, a, a lot less toxicity than they ever thought it had. And yeah. it's, you know, got a lot of benefits. But back yeah. then it was like, uh-oh, we better close this on down. And the yeah, government right. came out and was like... kids thinking for themselves. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that just got people more interested in it. But yeah, that yeah, seems to be right. when yeah. everyone just started, you know, shedding their clothing, letting their hair grow natural, and just yeah. letting it all happen. But, you know, I don't, I don't have a comment on the early... Um, 
big hair uh, heavy metal stuff. I, I I don't know what was going on with that. Maybe I think that... it was just a that was an industry thing that was an accepted thing. If you're going to be in an L.A. hair band, this is, you know yeah. you got to have the video with the girls you know, scantily clad in the cages, dancing to your song, like mawing at you like a kitty cat, right? That's that. All those yeah. videos are the same. That's right. And all the lead singers awful looked template. like chicks. It was a terrible template, but they were they were stuck in it just like Jerry had to wear. Matching suits at the beginning of the Warlocks, or whatever you know, they all they all they, they looked older then than they did, yeah. you know, a couple of years totally. later. They like totally, they were able to relax. So a that was bit. their social norm. Luckily, we didn't have to live through any of that. We never, we never, <laughs> washed our never hair. had to wear suits. <laughs> we never washed our hair. We never took showers, so we're good. <laughs> uh, so let me. Let me do a quick station announcement. You're listening to Johnny Secret Stash on Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. And Johnny Secret Stash is underwritten by Harbor Country Hydroponics out of New Buffalo, Michigan, for everything you need to grow your own secret stash. And we are here with Paul Bolger and Mark Haig from... Mr. Blotto, um, again, good to have you guys on the show. Uh, so nice I wanted to uh, get into the background of, of the tapers. You guys uh, even have a, a section on your website, you know, kind of your rules about taping. Um, certainly something that uh, got started with a lot of the other jam bands, the Grateful Dead. They were always right. sort of like along the attitude, it seemed to me, of, we're putting it out there, and once it leaves us, it's for everybody. I mean, that, that wasn't was Jerry's a, thing. That was Jerry's thing. It wasn't very popular with his family later on, or with the record companies, I'm sure. But well, it, uh, yeah, and it caused it caused the remainders, the the living uh, heirs to their thing, to squabble. But yeah, you know, he had the right idea. You know, and that, here's another norm that they broke until that moment. There was no taping allowed. There's no bootlegging. You know, because if you're going to put out a live album, you record it three nights in a row, and you cherry-pick the best performances to put up the live album. And the dad were like, no, man, let people have it, you know. And Fish, Fish did that to right. great effect also. Like, they were crisscross yeah. the country, and people would know what songs they had played in Chicago because they had people mailing those tapes to, you know, Arizona or whatever like that or, or communicating what they were doing. So it ended up being a great promotional tool for whatever it robbed you from having a live album every 15 years, which would be negligible, really, it paid back in, in promo, which now the entire industry is kind of, in a weird way, shifted to artists are not making that money, money off selling their music as they are for playing the music live. And the selling of the music or the giving away of the music is seen more as a promotional thing. Right, now. right. It's hard I've to been... monetize it in this day and age. You know, it's hard to get paid on mp3s i mean the big ones you know beyonce or whatever she's making money off albums but yeah the smaller bands are not right the, the medium, whole industry is turned bands. on its head and yeah and i i think you're right i think the um fish grateful dead they all sort of paved that way to create this new economy of how to monetize music and exactly. and it's all just this promotion for for live music I mean, it's right, right. Uh, so live in live taping it used became, to be, yeah, right. It used to be that the artists would go out and do the tours just to promote their albums, exactly. And now right. the industry has to get their revenue from the live shows, right? Yeah, it's a lot different. 
and, and you also don't have you give away their music for free. You know, or, yeah, you get exposure. Uh, like how Wilco, uh, I think what was the Sky Blue Sky was like the first one where like we're giving it away. You know, uh, if you want to pay us for it, great. But you know, come to our shows. It was kind of like right. that. Right, come to our shows with you know the expectation you want to hear these songs that you already love. That's a great yeah. thing. Yeah, like if you're playing to an audience that has your stuff and they're singing along, oh man, that's pretty cool. You right, know? and there's nothing like a live show. You know, you're you're right. there, right. you're you feel it all around you, through you, uh, especially with good sound equipment, and you can't duplicate that with a with a tape off of a. Off of, uh, in, you know, in a funny way, it's like it's like uh, the band that would just do studio stuff versus the band that would just perfect live stuff. It's like Betamax versus VHS. You yeah. know, Grateful Dead were VHS and Steely Dan was Betamax. Steely so Dan Steely was the Dan's perfect example studio. I was thinking of, too. <laughs> <laughs> they like, didn't play live. Oh, they did play live, but they didn't. that wasn't what they were known for. Right. Grateful Dead were known for live, and they were not known for getting it really well on the album. Right. They couldn't quite figure out how to make it sound they like they wanted that to lightning in a bottle yeah uh, and they tried a few exceptions a few exceptions bob we on ace they're yeah the, the cut of uh playing in the band right right that jam yeah. that jam is absolutely as good as it gets yeah and they caught it in the studio i'm like good one boys i, I remember that we're going to my first dead show at alpine valley and thinking man i've never heard any band that sounds like this i couldn't put my finger on it Right. And I remember listening to Jerry, and I'd come from the background listening to Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, and Hendrix. And I'm like, why isn't Jerry wailing? Like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, waiting for right. dazzling guitar stuff. And then by second set, I kind of figured out, wow, it's a completely different paradigm. It's a different yeah. way of listening to music. It's a collective improvisation, mm-hmm. which is an incredible thing. And I just realized that they were a very singular band that way and totally and, and before i was in Botto, i used to go see you guys before you guys even had a keyboardist at this little club called Botus's in mm. lincoln park and i really it's funny saying this that i've been in the band for 20 years but when i'd right. seen you guys before that it had that same effect where it had this very unique sound and I was listening to Alan and you, Paul, play mm-hmm. this percussive thing that you didn't get anywhere else in any other band. As, and it's the, the one word we use to describe it is pokey. It's very yeah. like effervescent yeah. with a little hard edge to it. And uh, yeah, you guys I, uh, were. <laughs> we always had that. Like I said, when we started the band, we wanted the groove. And so, like, my acoustic sound never had the really high, shimmery, tinny treble thing to it so that I could play rapidly without taking people's ears out. So I could go chicka chicka tucka chicka 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 you know, and off the drums. So Alan and I always felt like we're like we're the rhythm section, you know. Which freed up Chief to play more Phil Lesh kind of lines, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. down low without having to like do the traditional bass player grooving, you know, thing. And so that that probably helped. And then uh, you know then I think market frees you up too because you don't have to absolutely you don't have to like you know play like John Fogarty in the background you know you don't it frees you up to be like we call it uh, open field running you know like Gale Sayers uh-huh. as opposed to you know fullback running it and getting two yards every time <laughs> do you find that your approach as a band to um, 
to different music has evolved uh, because what you've just described first of all is is not typical of a band and I you know I think you sort of mentioned that with you working with the drummer Paul uh, as opposed yeah. to the bass player working with the drummer right. to create sort of that that down low uh, and freeing up um, the bass to be able to be a little more melodic or or venture off exactly but but is that yeah. still something you do, or is he, are you conscious of it, or because uh, yeah, it, our joke is our joke is when Chief, if Chief was in his interview, <laughs> you would have said how has your music evolved? He would have said it hasn't. Next question, because <laughs> that's his, that's his joke. <laughs> but it's it's true in the sense that our paradigm, our paradigm is the thing we just described. We have evolved in that we've become better and more ex, explorative writers. You know, like we can indulge um deeper deeper pockets of, of composition and stuff like that yeah that. but we still are good old blotto when you want you know when it comes down to the groove part you know right into the microphone what's that i think we're losing your voice paul or i am oh anyway. sorry um so anyway i think you know it, it's evolved in, in the sense that we we evolve as people and as artists and you know what we're looking for our music and to expand the the chords we're using or the melodies we're hearing are a little bit more subtle or complex, but our underlying, you know, um, boilerplate thing is the same. You know, our, that, that hasn't changed. We can't escape it. Right. Yeah. I don't it's know if we try. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know if we could. It'll be, it'll be frustrating sometimes if we're going to go after a song and do a direct read of it. Not that that's always the best idea. And we can never really get that. <laughs> like a cover, and, you mean? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. a cover song. Well, you know, even though you guys play other people's songs, I I always looked at it that, you know, this is a band that can take a Grateful Dead song or or uh, Allman Brothers song and you recognize it as that. But you guys have absolutely made it your own. You don't uh, rely on, right. you know, you're not listening to uh, like the Allman Brothers um, brothers and sisters album and and playing it word for word you you know you take one of the songs and you just go with it and make it your own right. and uh that's uh that's yeah, I think a hard always, thing to do for a, a band well, that's covering hard, other songs it's hard for somebody who doesn't have that in their in their deck but yeah. it's also hard for us to go the other way like if we we're going to try and be one of these bands that you know markets themselves as we do the exact thing that you heard before, whether it's, you know, Motley Crue cover band or Grateful yeah. Dead cover band or whatever. It'd be hard for us to do that because we always recognize the qua, you know, the je ne sais quoi, the <laughs> thing in the song, the, un, yeah. the unnameable thing. And we're like, I like that song because of the qua. I can't tell you why else I like it. So we go after it until we feel we have the qua. And then the details could be a little bit, skewed uh-huh. you know we could be doing it in a different time or add a different or, thing right we, add, we have like <laughs> we have very well known songs that we've covered that we've added chords to like it's sort of sacrilege some people are like <laughs> you can't touch you know there's a dylan song we do that i added a verse to really oh. which right now i can't believe the brass i had to do that because bob dylan is such a huge titan of you know lyrics and stuff like that for sure. I can't believe I had the brass to do it, but I did it, and no one ever busted me on it. Which uh, which song is that? I'm not gonna. T- I'm not. Gonna oh, all right, you. okay. Uh, <laughs> well, listen for it. <laughs> I, 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 I never remember that line because the uh, 
you know, the, the lyrics in this particular song are so nonlinear that any verse could go before any other verse. It's just one of those things where Dylan does it, where each verse makes sense on its own. They don't necessarily have to all be together in one thought. And so I ended yeah. one in that scene. That's like that now, blonde on so anyway, blonde era. And uh, yeah. um, Highway 61 revisited period of time when he was just... A lot of this, but even through his whole career. Like, he yeah. listen to uh, Modern Times or uh, right. you know, Love and Theft, and there's stuff that... It's brilliant, and I love listening to it. But you could jumble up the verses, and it wouldn't bother the song at all. You know what <laughs> right? I mean? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have a. There's not a linear aspect to linear narrative. Of, it's not yeah, a linear narrative, right? Almost ever. Well, I, I I was reading something one time about Bob Dylan and his. You know, he went through this period of songwriting where he was basically like standing up, drinking red wine, typing away like on a you know a manual typewriter. Yeah. Just just going just creating 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 pages and pages of stuff and then and then you know picking through it later on or whatever well have you seen the uh the documentary yeah yeah <laughs> bob has been a busy boy is this the uh, um rolling thunder review yeah. documentary have you seen that? i st- i started watching i didn't i don't think i ended up watching Dude, the whole thing it but is gold. all right it's i'm gonna gold. dig back and find that one again there's yeah. a scene where he's kind of hammered backstage at the backstage bar and it's him and Joan Baez who of course were completely together at times, you know, yeah. lovers and this, that, and then moved on. And he's saying something to her, like uh, something about her marriage and they're, they're being very intimate and, and isn't that. And he mentioned Jack Kerouac to her. And he's like, yeah, well, Jack Kerouac is like, and then he makes the, he's on the air guitar, he's typing. Like, she goes, I know someone who typed like that. He, she's like, you type like that. Like you, you did that. And he goes, he kind of nods. He goes, yeah. And she goes, and I would feed you salad and red wine and you would do that. And so it was like the exact reference. The perfect reference. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to watch it. You're going to see that. All scene right. All right. Yeah. I'm going to definitely As you watch take the scene, look. you're kind of aware that they're, do- they're doing a documentary and that they put these two there and said, uh-huh. why don't you guys talk? Yeah. But that being, that being a given, they they're completely relaxed and they're completely genuine in their conversation. Yeah. And they, you know, they probably filmed 10 minutes and they gave us one minute of it, you know, the, the best thing, but that's, that's funny that you referenced that cause that's in there. Well, I think yeah, about I mean, that, you know, every time you like, you get down and, and you finally find that vein of creativity and you just let it all out, you know, and you can't right. type fast enough. Uh, get it while it's there. Yeah. That's an absolute in our thing. Mark, Mark has a phrase about gambling. Like uh, don't bucket or something like that. Don't fight a trend. It's like getting into the zone. I mean, there's so many different don't, don't, ways don't to get into the zone. Don't turn on a trend or something like that. The trend is your friend. The trend, the trend is your friend. Is your friend. Yeah. I like that. So if it's if you got the hot hand, get it now because and chief, you know, chief has the uh, the American Indian thing going. So he said one of the chiefs talked about inspiration and saying uh, when you go and you hear your your life song or your death song or whatever. He goes, write these things down, my son, for what you don't remember will return to the wind from whence it came. Oh, man. It's like, that was always a stinging, <laughs> stinging warning of, you know, the muse will give you all you can handle. But if you slough off what the muse is sending you, the muse will find someone else to send it to, you know? He, yeah. He said it another way, too, which is great. He's like, the muse is one jealous bitch. If you don't pay oh, yeah. attention to her when she's there, she won't come around very often. Yeah, that's exactly. heavy. Yeah. What? It, uh, and that's when I, you know, I get a lot of I get a lot of song ideas uh, from sleep, from like 
just falling asleep, I'll hear something and I'll sit up and sure. you know, get the, I used to be a tape recorder on my counter. Now it's my iPhone or it'll be just waking up and I'll, I'll be like getting up and brushing my teeth. And I'll be like, wait, that song that's in my head from the dream. That's not a song. So then I have to sit down and like get it real quick before it completely evaporates. You know, we, we have that in common. I've, I've done the same thing where I'll wake up from a dream. and It'll be someone ridiculous, like Conway Twitty or, or something in a bar <laughs> that I'm watching in my dream. Yeah. He's playing a Jimmy Buffett song. I'm like, Oh yeah. And I'll, I'll wake up and be singing that song. I'm thinking that's not a song that was right. given to me. Wow. And just got a head right oh. to the tape recorder. How it's do you guys do processes. It's the best feeling, but it's a nervous feeling because you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I gotta get this before it goes away. Well, right you know? now that you know that the that the muse has the potential to just walk away and leave you without anything, you gotta just right. grab on and, and uh, right. hold and on. You can never, ever, for any reason, think to yourself, okay, I, I, I kind of know how that goes. I'm so tired. I'm gonna roll back to sleep. When I wake up, I'll, I'll remember it. It's a, it's a one to a six to a four. And it's kind of this groove. I'll remember it. Like, you can't do that because you never. not. You will not. We've all tried it and lost what was probably a gem. Oh, you know? oh, tell the story of uh, Rock Me In Your Arms. It's a good one along the same lines. Rock Me In Your Arms? Um, what I was think that? You, you told me that you were dreaming that you were watching the Beatles play that and you woke up and you're like, wait, that's not a Beatles oh, yeah. song. You, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you had to check with people. Like, is this a Beatles song? It was an early Beatles song, and I know what it is now that I thought it was. It was, uh, hold me, hold me, hold me. I don't want you, but I love you. Know that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. Da, 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 how, how, yeah. That little, that dominant seven uh, harmony that Lennon does is the only thing in common with Rock Me Your Ass. But I thought that it was the Beatles on that album. And I didn't know the Beatles. I mean, I had all their stuff, but I didn't know their early albums, like song for song. So, like, which one is? It's this one, right? And like, it was like, no, nah, that's not. It. <laughs> no, you, like, you just made that up, Paul. Yeah, I don't know. I made that one up. Yeah. Okay, I'll that's, take it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, when you guys write songs, does one of you bring ideas to the table, and everyone else rounds it out? How does that usually? Typically, yeah. Well, when I joined the band, it was really cool because I. Mike and Paul had a great idea in that we spent Monday nights that the whole band is welcome. It's optional. You can bring beers, whatever, and we just sit around and write. And you don't even have to show up, but you should if you want to be involved in the writing process. So most of the time, it was the three of us yeah. working on tunes, and we would just say, I've got this little chorus, but I have nothing else. And that this would be one example. Paul would say, oh, I've got a verse. And that would go with it. But, right. Um, and sometimes it'd be in a different key. And you have to transpose it, make it work. Or right. different feel. And sometimes that's the magic. Like, I would have a verse that was just sort of plain. But then Mark would have a chorus. And I'd say, I think this should go with it. But I'd have to sort of cram it into a new box to make it work. And that, that would make it interesting. So you have to be so open to the, you know, the chance of getting lucky on something, you know. Right. But every once in a while, Paul will bring in Tim. He's like, I got this little thing, and he'll be very modest about it. And he'll play it, and I'm thinking, man, that song's perfect. Beginning yeah. and Don't touch and it. thinking yeah. selfishly, I want to write one little part just so I can be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
and, yeah. and it's uh, it's a fun process. And what I usually end up doing is coming up with a riff and maybe a simple melodic idea. One of my favorite stories about that is looking back is we were I can't remember what we were doing. We were at our old warehouse in Bucktown, and we had done like two or three days of rehearsals. And uh, we had two. We had a Friday show and a Saturday show. And we were thinking we had to have another rehearsal on Sunday. And I just flippantly said, "Hey, I don't work on Sunday." And I just started <laughs> playing this guitar riff, yeah, <laughs> and sang the one line, "I don't work on Sunday." And then Paul did all the heavy lifting and finished the song like. In, well, you did more than that. You sat, you were sitting back, I see you were sitting back on the couch. You had a guitar in your hand, you're like, playing a little chop, you're like, you go, I don't, you're like in a mock hillbilly voice, you're like, I don't work on Sunday. I was like, yeah. what's that? That's the kernel of a, a big song coming out of there. That's all it takes, man. Yeah. It's like one little spark and there's a, there's a whole bale of hay sitting up there just ready to go, you know? Yeah. So you got to be open to it and let the spark hit. And then, yeah, by heavy lifting, he means the next three minutes. You know, <laughs> the song just came out. We're like, there it is. Now all I have to do is, like, finish the lyrics later tonight at home or whatever. You know, I don't know if you know wine. this, Paul, but we were playing at Reggie's on a Tuesday. And um, this this guy came up. He's a Marine. And he was a special ops guy. And he asked if we would play that song. Work on Sunday? Night. Yeah, work on Sunday. Huh. He said, I don't know. I'm not sure if we, uh, we're going to play it tonight. We played it last week. We try to have the variety every from week to week so we don't repeat. And he said, a great story for it. I did a tour in Afghanistan. And uh, we just had a mission that we went on. He's like, I'll tell you that it was gruesome but victorious hmm. and we all got um the uh, black hawk to come back and everybody was laying down and i went to my itunes and put on i don't work on sunday <laughs> i thought wow that is really cool that was pretty flattering yeah that is amazing. i remember you saying i remember you saying a, a very shortened version of that on stage i'm like yeah let's definitely even though we played it the last show because we try we don't repeat from show to show and we try not to repeat week to week you know so our fans can come out uh -huh. and see four shows in a row and not hear one song again do you do that uh with purpose and so yeah like you put together yeah, yeah. song song lists for each show well, that we're you... not good at we're not good at uh at making set, set lists we'll set do list. it if it's a big show or there's a real time constraint that we have to you know what i mean but for the most part, we can remember yeah. what we played last night. And so we don't do any of those night to night. For sure, we don't do any repeats unless there's a special ops guy. Right, <laughs> a great right. story. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, or, some, or some, you know, extenuating circumstance. But we probably go three shows without repeating much at all. And four shows probably with only repeating about 25%, you know, just per chance because we don't right. keep track. But I think that. I mean, that's just like the Grateful Dead, you know, when we would see them sure. know, three three nights in a row, four times in a row at Alpine Valley and not repeating a song. It was like, holy cats. That that made me go, okay, we need to. Any idea you have for a cover? Because the Dead were great at covering songs too, you know? They, absolutely. Any idea you have for a cover, any original, any little idea 
flesh it out and make it part of the set so that you can you can call on it when needed because this is gold if you can play four shows in a row basically like your four different bands that that is a whole paradigm shift too you know these if you went and saw aerosmith and you know in the 70s the same show same show every 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 city you know well, I mean, like the right? fish bakers does, and they did uh, what? Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. remember the 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 they actual stats, but without with all original, right? Right, amazing. Please. Like yeah, a couple we, hundred we songs, them. just one right after the other. So is, we're we're coming the close They're to the end of the radio hour, and I I just okay. want to um you mentioned Can we Reggie's meet you in a bar somewhere and keep talking. No, I'll just <laughs> I'll close it out, and then we'll we'll keep talking, but. Uh, you mentioned Reggie's. You guys are there every Tuesday, uh, and uh, Tipsy, oh, Jesus, Tipsy Tuesday, Tipsy Tuesday, right? It's us, four piece acoustic, and it's eight o'clock, and uh, and a blast, it's a, and it's a blast, yeah, yeah. always fun they there. Great, you got That's great fun. food. Uh, yeah, they we're really do. A, we're doing a procrastinators ball show at a theater, the Arcana Theater. In Geneva. Geneva. Oh, cool. That's the first Friday after New Year's. We do it every year. And we call it the Procrastinators Ball because it's we we tie up any loose ends we started in the year musically, like a song that we covered for the first time or some song we we were in the middle of and and went off into another song and never finished. (laughs) We kind of tie up loose ends. So we call it the Procrastinators Ball and everyone comes with their New Year's noisemakers and stuff and we count down New Year's again as though we were procrastinating New Year's by days and we count it down at midnight and uh, it's a hilarious deal but we also we have the cubby bear every christmas night and that's 25th. coming up december 25th yeah. christmas night 25th. at the cubby bear that'll cubby be great. Bear. we do an all dead show every year yeah which is a lot of fun and then reggie's of course it's every tuesday but this particular year we're doing new year's at reggie's as well really oh all that'll be a good one yeah yeah and, and then we talked earlier you're playing at babes in benton harbor tonight That'll Tonight. be a fun thing. That'll be a lot. Yeah, of, that'll be fun. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, you're listening to Johnny Secret Stash, Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks and 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan, underwritten by Harbor Country Hydroponics out of New Buffalo, Michigan, for everything you need to grow your own secret stash. And that's the end of the radio show, everybody. Listen in for Beautiful. the podcast. And now we're on the podcast, That's and we're not subject right. to FCC FCC rules and stuff. So I wanted we to kind just of do whatever we want. Mrblotter.net is wherever we can find all the information on all this stuff. Oh, all right, yeah, great. Mrblotto.net. Yeah, That'd be great if we got that out there. I was uh, the artwork on there is really cool. Do you uh, do you guys have someone who who kind of you know does that artwork kind of stuff? on what? On the website, there's sort of this... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's a girl. What's her name? Liz? Yeah, Liz Burr. Liz Burr. Out of New York. Yeah, really She's cool. Great. Right. And a, really, actually, a nice website. So getting back to um, your the, the way that you kind of operate, I mean, you know, doing all these shows every year and doing it for so long and now trying to... Um, stretch things out and not replay things and and all that uh you know you really have to dig each show uh and and maintain a repertoire of all these songs that are fresh and ready to go well we're lucky in the sense that we have collective recall a lot of 
things. So once we sit, let's say we cover um, a, a tune that falls out of the uh, repertoire. We played it. It's like it's in a repertoire for a little while, like maybe six months. And then we kind of cool off on it. We don't play it for two years. If we remember the song to, to play, we're like, oh, let's play. We haven't played that forever. Let's play that right now. We all be like, we all remember the essence of it. Like I said, the qua, right? Oh, that's great. So much so that we'll say, yeah, let's do it. What key is it? Like we don't we don't remember chords in a linear sense. Like it's G to B minor to C. We go, no, it's it's one to the three to the four. So you're like, let's do that song. What key is it? It's in this key. Okay, then we're fine. As long yeah. as we know we're all starting on the same key, right? We will all find the song together. We'll remember it together because we because we played it once upon a time. So we got lucky in that sense. We do you guys all read play, music, or is it mostly nah. no? Okay, nah. but you Not all of us. We can we can if yeah. we sat down with you know with glasses and a pencil and like the treble clef. I would take me an hour to. to <laughs> Chart out, happy oh, that's an A know, right but... there. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm recalling from my piano lesson days when I was, you know, ten years old. You get that you're trying to figure out like what note that is and all that. Yeah, it's a sharp you... or flat or what's that little natural thing that always bugged the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. Like, you've got a scale me and too. you're just gonna have a natural note there. Like, that's way too much to keep track of. I mean, I can't believe anyone can do that. Really, I know it's. It it's uh... I respect it greatly. It's, it's something I could never do. Well, but the. Uh, Guitar tabs make things a lot easier for guitar players, for sure. That's that's our speed. Guitar yeah. tab and writing chords out. Yeah, yeah. You chart it right. like the Nashville chart, where you have two slashes and that's a bar, and you put the two chords in there. <laughs> that's a good way to go for us. But you know what, John? Some of it is muscle memory too. Like we'll play it for oh, we haven't right. done in five years. You just have to trust it and not think about anything else. Uh-huh. So this next second comes, don't have any anxiety about it. Just let your hand go where it's going to go. Just being That's in the great, moment. It actually works. <laughs> That's yeah. a great way to say it. Don't have any anxiety about it. Because you can't, if you, as soon as you tense up and freak out, you're like, you're really lost. There's right. times where I'll go up to the microphone and I know it's time to sing a verse and say it's the third verse. And I can't for the life remember me which one it is. Or I'll just total zen out and clear my mind and open my mouth and push air out. It's pretty magical. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but it's like you you would never think when you're 20 years old you'd be like that's that's weird that's not going to happen, but eventually it it just happens. It does. It's... And then the one out of ten times that it doesn't, I totally screwed the lyric and the crowd goes crazy. They love it. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's the other side of it. I mean, you know, like think about at a dead show when when Bobby forgets the words. I mean, that's the greatest. Everyone's like, oh yeah, what, he just forgot. Right, the words. You look up at the rafters with that goofy grin. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, you know that's definitely record worthy when the stuff like that happens. It's beautiful, man. Yeah, it's beautiful because the crowd is like, it's not even a thing of they're human because you know they're human, but there's something that people just connect with and it's just right. fun. And the fact that we're is, is grinning goofily and looking up at the rafters, chuckling at himself. Right. Yeah. If he freaked out, if it was Liberace in Vegas and he forgot a thing, you're like, Oh my God, he'd run off the stage with his handkerchief, you know, like, right. He's so destroyed that like this happened. He's not a professional. Whereas the dad would poke fun at themselves and just like, first of all, F you if you're offended <laughs> that I forgot a verse yeah, because you know, right. what are you doing here? You know, you yeah. keep the track, you know, keep it score. 
And it's like, okay, I forgot it, and uh, I'm, I'm going to chuckle. So the whole audience is at ease, seeing that the performer's at ease, and that the little stuff doesn't matter. It's the qua that matters, once again. You know? And I yep. think that's... It's a very... Yeah, Jerry, Jerry described it as a forgiving audience. He said, we have a very forgiving audience. They appreciate a good try. I mean, that's well said. That's right? huge. Yeah. It, that's a good footnote. Right. Yeah, exactly. That, that really... Um, says a lot right there uh you guys have this ep that i guess it's dropping today the the christmas ep yeah and what first one what did you uh where do you do your recording do you go in a studio do you guys have your own setup i mean you did make mention to sort of this loft idea like yeah like well the we have a warehouse loft that we the, rehearse the warehouse and stuff, and then, uh-huh. yeah and our gear is stored there and we have we have spare gear set up you know, couches, big couches, fun place yeah, to yeah. hang out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> every, pleasure dungeon. every band needs one of those for sure. Yeah, right. it's a pleasure dungeon that flushes and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> we went to a studio. Dungeon. We went to a proper studio. You know, we wanted okay. to, we, we decided like the week before Thanksgiving, hey, let's do a Christmas album. So this is a, like weeks old and you were able to yeah, get it out enough. and get it get it pressed we and all that we actually did an interesting well, thing we we let our fans come into the studio with us they could pay for a, a ticket and come great. into the studio while we tracked and it was yeah. really fun well that must have been helpful like also and it, it must have been yeah. helpful also for you because being a, you know primarily a live band that must have uh, created inspiration yeah i think there's a little energy yeah there's a little bit of energy even in the studio there's a little i don't know if you felt it mark i felt a little bit of energy knowing that people were checking it out in real time I, it wasn't, exactly. it wasn't like huge, but it was it was a little something there. Yeah, but definitely nice bit. for the fans. That's for sure. So were these oh, yeah, were these original yeah. songs that you have on your Christmas EP, or um, there's two yeah. originals and there's four traditional ones. Which ones are the originals? What what are they called? Uh, the one is called Carpenter's Clo- King and Carpenter's Clothes, which is a, cool. a funny story too. Chief and I decided to go see Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas when uh-huh. it came out in the theater. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we uh, we partook before the, uh, the movie. So we were in there, and we're all gooey and loved the movie. <laughs> and came back to the, to the lotto house we lived in at the time. And the next morning, I woke up, and I was like <clears throat> playing the guitar. And I'm like, oh, this is that song from the movie last night. And I'm playing it for Chief. He's like, that's not a song in the movie. I'm like, yeah, it's the one where he's walking around going, what's this and what's that? He goes, no, 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 no. That's (laughs) not it at all. I'm like, holy cats, I got one. You know, this was one of the things Mark and I were just talking about. Yeah. And this was a full-on tune, and it was a Christmas song because it was Nightmare Before Christmas. And I was was singing, you know, everyone's in search of a light that no one knows, a king in carpenter's clothes. And I was like, like, "That's, that's the line for the song. And so I wrote the whole thing, and I'm like, we got to go back and see that movie and make sure the song isn't in it. Yeah. So we went back the next night, saw the movie again straight. And by the end of the movie, I'm like, oh, my God, I think I just got this song for free. And I'm watching the credits. I'm like, oh, God, here it comes. It's going to be like in the credits. It's going to be this song. And that's where it came from. And it wasn't. There was nothing there. I'm like, well, there's there's a freebie. So that's that song. Yeah. And the other one was uh, Santa's a Hippie, which we wrote from. Uh, we used to do the Richard Milne XRT christmas message every year and oh, we wrote yeah. it as a sort of a joke santa's a hippie he's fat got a beard works one day a year santa's <laughs> a hippie that's how we uh we wrote that one and we just expanded it a little bit for the album so we got two 
I think they'll be instant classics. I think people will cover them along with Silver Bells and uh, Silent Night for <laughs> right. the next hundred years. Uh, Carolers going around, yeah, yeah, they'll, around they'll the neighborhood. Yeah, they'll it. You know, it'll, be a, it'll be a huge thing. Hey, you know, you say that jokingly, but, you know, the, hey, you the world know. Yeah. is changing. That's for sure. The world ain't boring. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, when you are... Um, not playing live how how often do you guys get to get together and practice and put songs together and stuff like that we, we try and keep monday open for rehearsal we don't do it every week but that's usually what we do yeah yeah unless there's a big event coming up we have to specifically rehearse for it but i think like mark said you know when the monday night music club we were just you know everyone's invited if you don't have to come and so it typically you know, is me and Chief and Hag, you know. And you, not you that also are doing so much stuff independently. Um, I remember one instance, I was just at my place here in Chicago working on a tune recorded on my iPhone, as I usually do. And some days I'll just scroll along all my ideas from even a year ago. And I'll listen because that's you're so far away from it, you you don't even remember writing it. New inspiration. Right. So you hear it you hear it anew. Yeah. But so before our New Orleans trip, the first one last year, um, I was scrolling through it. I found this great jazz instrumental. Which I was thinking, man, this this sounds really good. I can't believe they did this. So I called Paul, said, Let's just cram a rehearsal and I got this tune. We are really busy that week. He's like, Is it really good? <laughs> it's be good if we're all gonna get together. Like I listened to it, it was like a year ago, and it still sounds good. So let's do Mark, it. Is it really good? Yeah, <laughs> it's it was, happy, it was, Buster Brown. It was actually finished. It had all the parts to it, essentially. So we got together based on that and put it together before the. And that's New Orleans and that's trip. another thing of our dynamic is each of us has to know when to be a chief and when to be an Indian, right? So Mark came in with this too, and we're like, okay. Time is of the essence, and he's got the whole thing from beginning to end sussed out. So we all just follow, like, what do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? And then we put our ideas in, like, oh, well, how about an extra bar here? There's like, but for the most part, you know, that was one of those where he had the whole thing, the whole, the whole story, the whole vision. So that that's the time for us all to be like, okay, what what do you think goes here? And I'll do it. You know what I mean? As opposed right. to so, the kernel of an idea, and everyone's like picking at it for an hour, trying, you know, right. shaping it and morphing it. That one was, you know, it was, it was already, already packaged and ready. We just had to get it in us, you know. Yeah. And, and Mike is really good at keeping all these songs that we try at the warehouse and listening to them on his yeah. own time. They'll say, "Got there's five songs to listen to. One is an absolute gem, and we will literally listen to it, and nobody remembers." Right. He's always it. got the he's got the hand on the record button at rehearsals, and he kind of archives and keeps track of it. And he chews on it and adds things and this and that, and then brings it back. And like Mark said, it'll sound unfamiliar to us, and it's us from a year before on a particular Monday night where we caught a tailwind and got a really cool three minutes of a thing that's like that could be a song. All we need to do is put a chorus or put a verse or whatever, you know. So I I, I wonder about these bands in the seventies that didn't have any of the technology, how many songs they lost. Oh, right. Can you imagine right. Bad Company, like in a barn somewhere, rehearsing, getting hammered, and you know, having a great song come out the next morning, like, how'd that go? Like, oh, oh man. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know how many big ones got away that we'll never hear? I'll, I'll bet, like, yeah. With their way to heavens got away, probably. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, there's that controversy that they stole Stairway to Heaven from that. Uh, I know that I've never one... heard the original one. But I, I keep meaning I to like find that. Is uh, it close? It, it's it's like on a twelve string, and it just has a similar progression in the same key. Just the the intro. Well, the and rap, they, yeah, but they also, uh, and I I have heard them uh, next to each other, but they also said that it was the live version that sounded more like what ended up being Stairway to Heaven and mm, Led Zeppelin right. and that band had played with each they other. Toured. I, yeah, yeah, I think, um, and I'm forgetting the name of the other band, but they had opened for Led Zeppelin or something like that. I could I could remember the name of the band if it was a multiple choice because I've seen it enough <laughs> times, but I, I couldn't conjure it up right now. But Zeppelin what, were the kings of rip and dip. Like they would rip those right, things and change them a little bit, and but they made them their own. Yeah. Like when you hear... Their Willie Dixon stuff, it's it's right. theirs. You know, they took yeah, they took Daisy. I'm confused or whatever like that. Yeah. But you know, if well, you think it's well, they're a target too. You know, and do that. Yeah, you know? but they're a target too. These guys were just they were flying their own airplanes. I mean, they they had right. they were making so much money. So, well, I'm trying to remember. There was a blues guy who they clearly just took. Willie Dixon. Willie, it was Willie it a Willie Dixon song, and they yeah, were like, "Yeah, you're right. We did. Like, yeah, we did." <laughs> Sorry about that. Here's well, some money. Well, and he's on. Here's a million dollars. Said, uh, "You you need schooling. I'm not tooling." I mean that line. It sounds. Oh just yeah, like that. that's right. That's right. A lot of love, you know. But they were, I think they were friends with them, just like the Stones were, you know. Because they, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the blues guys appreciated that. Uh, well, their crowds these rock up, right? bands bringing them to the forefront. Yeah, and they were yeah. just in clubs before that. So. Yep. Spirit, I think. Spirit. Spirit. This song. Spirit. Taurus is oh, the yeah. song Spirit. by Spirit. Right. I looked it I up. That was a longer. <laughs> I thought it was a longer band name than that. So Spirit is a twelve-string progression that's very. Okay. Similar. I thought it was a name like. The Madrigal Bounty or something like that. <laughs> Some weird flowery hippie thing. I don't know. Right, like a one-off hippie flower thing. Hey, I here. just got an idea for a song. Madrigal Bounty. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? I was... Um, I was. You guys play at Reggie's every Tuesday. You know, you've got a real tight local schedule. Uh, how, much, mm-hmm. how much touring around the country do you get to do with... Uh, you know, not being. We don't do we don't do so much anymore. We used to go yeah. to Colorado two two times a year, and we go down south, Alabama and Mississippi, and went out to New York a couple times. But for us, you know, we have yeah. bus. Don't travel. We have a great tour. We have a twelve bunk tour bus. You know, an old Eagle tour bus. We don't use it that much. We use it for you know overnight uh, uh-huh. summer fests, two nighters, and stuff like that. It's great. And yeah, it's comfort plus. But we don't. We don't travel that much because we don't have to. Right. Because right. we can play four shows in a row and have the same crowd come out and see four different shows. So that's and, the advantage. And sleep in your shows. own bed, you know. You sleep in your own bed at night. <laughs> you don't get in so, yeah. Stay out of trouble. <laughs> we'll go to Madison, you know, go to Champaign. Uh-huh. And I know you guys come up to Harbor Country a lot. You've got the yeah. uh, Hotel Plato. I mean, that is just oh, yeah. legendary. How did you yeah. get started with that? How long have you guys been doing that one? And it's a couple times a year now, right? Out of, and it's a, yeah. in Laporte, Laporte, Indiana. Laporte. I don't know how long we've been doing it now. Ten or twelve like years. Fifteen years, maybe. Fifteen, maybe. Yeah. 
We just we wanted we wanted to do a F winter fest like in February. We're like, yeah. We need to find an airplane hangar somewhere that we people can camp on the cement inside the airplane hangar and be warm when it's snowing outside. And so we looked into that and we couldn't find that. It's, try finding that unicorn. You know, yeah, like yeah. somebody's got an airplane hangar is going to let a thousand hippies camp in it. Let's think of the security so, coming onto the air. air on yeah, the, I mean, it's just not, put that in the file, it's not going to happen. So <laughs> then I remembered this hotel when I was in high school. I went to high school up there. And uh, I remember it being a holodome. And I thought, you know what? We could maybe do a thing like that. And so we did it. And we just played in the ballroom. And then Mark had the idea of, why don't we have an indoor winter music fest? So we'll have the bar that is in the hotel and the banquet room and the open atrium area are three different stages. And right. we'll put like eight bands on per day and people will go from stage to stage to stage, just like a festival, like perfect. I, yeah. re I remember thinking how cool it would be to be a patron at a hotel where you could just pop out of your room, like in front of your door with your group of friends your beer almost like a skybox right at a, a big venue and you could watch the band in the atrium and it became a reality and the funny thing was in indiana you could still back in the day smoke in the hotel so you'd see these these dreadlock people walking with their dog smoking cigarettes drinking in the middle of winter it's like <laughs> it's indoor summer fest in the middle of winter. It's, yeah. Yeah, such a cool thing. It was, yeah, unimaginably cool. And you can go to bed whenever you want. And they don't really have a problem with, like, other patrons because it's packed with, uh, with Blotto fans. No, we, no, no. We, we block out the entire hotel with yeah. all us. So, like, you don't have, <laughs> the first couple the years. first year. That yeah, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't perfected. So, be like, a, a guy and his wife and his three little kids walking along. <laughs> it's like, what the, the hell is going on here? <laughs> trying to go to the pool. You know, we're like, yeah. Crazy, but now we just buy the whole thing out. You know, it sells out. So, did you do one but, of those in November as well? Yeah, we do. We expanded it to do two a year, and and the plan the plan became the November one, which is always going to be the weekend after Halloween, is Grateful Dead, all Grateful Dead bands. So we call it Mars Hotel, right. uh -huh. and then the original one, which is February, which is always the weekend after Valentine's Day is the regular Hotel Blotto, which is whatever music, you know, whatever bands we want to yeah. book. Who, uh, so, yeah, so, so do, is there someone in the band that's kind of takes responsibility for the booking and, and that kind of thing? Or? Yeah, we have division of labor, you know, uh -huh. we all do, we all wear the different hats, you know. So I do all the booking. Um, these other guys, you know, Mark does some stuff, Chief does some stuff. Chief tends to do the, the banks, the credit cards and banks. Uh-huh. We all we all pretty much check on each other in all all those areas though. Yeah, we have to like all the lines there are booking, uh -huh. but there'll be other stuff that I'll book. And Mike does a lot of the accounting, and then I'll take over some of it. We all just kind of it's a checks and balances thing. Because right. Yeah, you can't all worry about all of it a little bit. You need to like worry about the stuff that you do a lot, and what the other guys worry about. Like I don't worry about merch at all. I'll create some of it, you know, if I make a t-shirt design or a CD or whatever, then I let these guys take the marketing of the CD or how it's getting online or how we're collecting the credit cards. Like I don't even get involved cheap and hag handle that whole thing, you know? Right. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a machine with moving parts. Right. right. 
And you're you know, not relying on anytime outside. you're doing what someone else is doing, you're wasting the effort. Good That's point. not to say we don't all weigh in on all the decisions, but then when the rubber meets the road, it's this guy's. It does help when someone yeah. accepts responsibility for it and then is able right. to have everyone else and chip to, in or whatever. And gets to break a tie if there's a, an argument. You know, yeah. the guy doing it says, well, okay, I've heard both sides and this is what I'm going to go. This is what we're doing going forward because this is my area. You know, you guys have been doing this. Like stage outfits. I'm in charge of stage outfits and we're about to make a big show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the one securing all like the red velvet suits. And, I, well, I've, I got a sewing the... machine and I've been going crazy. <laughs> and it's almost ready. It's taking up so much of your time. <laughs> Dude, this Christmas show at Cubby is going to be an eye popper. You watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Cubby Bear, that, that's uh, a venue. I, I know I've seen you there a couple times. I mean, you... You seem to have um, a good connection with the Cubby Bear as well as the the um, the Cubs themselves. I mean, you you guys yep. uh, for the Dead shows you were playing in that um, new park area, which was yeah, that was, that was awesome. Gallagher there. I mean, Way, Gallagher, Gallagher Way. Way, right, right. Uh, That's a yeah. beautiful venue, man. Yeah. That is such it fun. is. It really. I mean, it was to play. Think about what three years ago it was basically like this parking lot that they didn't even know what to do with, with a donut them. shop remember that falling oh yeah he was the the holdout you know and then it took the rickets yeah. to like force him out of there i guess yeah and he's i'm sure he's sitting on a pile of cash somewhere in the bahamas right now right right the he, donut king <laughs> he's like no i'm not willing to sell i just want to keep making donuts well how about this number uh all right yeah <laughs> now there's like islanders going who's that man in the big house over there <laughs> ah, he's the donut king from chicago man yeah right i didn't know there was that much money in donuts <laughs> <laughs> yeah i gotta get into donuts yeah <laughs> uh so cubby bear is a frequent spot uh cubs games and and uh shows you know opening for shows at Cubs at uh, Wrigley Field, and then Reggie's. Uh, of we course. don't consider that opening. We're we're co-headlining with the great. Right, right. No, I, <laughs> and I misspoke. I shouldn't have. Uh, we flipped the coin. Like that. We flipped the coin on who was going on first, and <laughs> yeah. so we went on first. Who gets the stage in the middle of the outfield? And right, that was a close. There was a flip of the coin. What are you going to do? <laughs> that was a, that was a fun one. The the shows this year were just cold. They you know the rain and the it was uh, oh I know a little rough, but uh, oh, such a pleasure. And yeah, man, it, those were some good ones. It's great, it's great to see them in any in any capacity. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, other than uh, kind of Reggie's and Cubby Bear, are there other Chicago venues that you get to a lot, or places that you kind of return to? Other you know than the um, Hollow Dome. Well, and the I mean constantly i mean yeah, constantly. yeah. you're just you know, doing little it. there's little tiny bars like the tonic room oh right you know, yeah yeah we played uh in barrington last night like i said we're up in uh benton harbor tonight there's brower house which is a nice big room mom's is a little room in the loop which is cool uh-huh. even flow out in uh geneva it's cool arcada theater obviously is a great oh, one yeah. to play um chop shop you know Oh sure. There's so many great venues in Chicago, North and South Side. I mean, you can. It's one of the few places that I that I believe a musician, a professional, full time musician, can make a living uh, playing original music. You know, it's yeah, yeah. Name another city where you made a living doing that. You know, it's a very short list. Austin. (laughs) Austin. I was just thinking. Do you ever get down to uh, to Austin? To I mean, we haven't. We were gonna try and do that uh, South by Southwest. 
thing, but we never really played the game of how to get in that. I don't, I, I don't know. What about uh, other I, festivals? Uh, not summer camp or, um, you know, even Bonnaroo or those kinds of things. You ever look to try to? We did. We did ten thousand lakes for years. That was uh-huh. a good fest. It was about ten thousand people and stuff. We played with uh, Trey up there, and Mark got to hang out with him a little bit. Oh right! Wow, that must have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah you guys fun. are at a level where you're able to just step on stage with with some of these guys that are. Yeah, Mark got up and played with Rat Dog at the Vic with Bob Weir. Oh, and he got man. the go around. Like he did he wow. went around once and Weir puts his hand up and looks at him and goes, you know, the circular motion uh-huh. like the last out. Like, yeah, go yeah. again. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that was a cool moment. I felt like I had the, the home field advantage, you know, because I the soul and everybody knew me to Plato or a large percentage of the audience. And where and where with me, the, was that did you say that was at the Vic? Yeah, the yeah. theater. How um how, how did that come about? You know, did they reach out to you? You weren't just in the audience and, with your guitar case. You know, they didn't like pull you up yeah. on stage. Right. No, it, it was, uh, it starts back. I had this side band that I actually still have. We play like once a year now, but we used to play every Thursday. And even when I joined Bono, I kept it going. It, it has a, a very funny name. Our band is Hack and Wheeze. We played in this <laughs> small bar called Griffin's in Lincoln Park, which no longer exists. And it was just, everybody was chain smoking in there and drinking lots of tequila and stuff like that. We thought just really quickly, let's just call it Hack and Weez. We fit our whole scene there. But we would cover Fish and the Grateful Dead and Willie Nelson and all this kind of stuff and Ween. And one night, John Perry Barlow came into the bar. Oh, man. That, and so he's, he's, people who don't know, I don't know if anyone doesn't know, but that's uh, um, basically Bob Weir's um, musical writing yeah, partner he, who he grew up with and um, spent the time in Montana with and all that. Yes. So he our, ended up, he saw you and he's like, Bob, you got to check this guy out. Well, our, 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 one of his friends saw us. And interestingly enough, he heard about us when he was scuba diving in the Bahamas through wearing a Grateful Dead shirt, one of our Hack and Weez fans said, uh-huh. oh, you're in Chicago, you got to check out Hack and Weez. And he, his name's Peer Monk, who we work with as well. He does Peer our, Monk. I know Peer. He did the, he does the CD recordings. Yes. Our, my yeah, daughter grew up with guy. his daughter. Yeah, he's, he is a good guy. Does he still From do Oslo, your... Norway. Yeah. So... Anyways, when Barlow walked in, our keyboardist recognized him right away. He's like, Mark, that's Barlow. We got, let's play our really deep cut dead stuff in Barlow. So we launched into Brother Esau, which is kind of a, a deep cut. The dead didn't play it that much. I love that song. And John was just thrilled that we played that. And uh, we, we started talking afterwards, him and I, and we hung out till the wee hours. And he said he was on a plane the next morning to go to Sao Paulo. And I said, just, you got to stay one night. Because Blotto was playing the next night at Joe's, which is a great venue. Joe's on Weed? It became a, right, Joe's yeah. on Weed. Now it's more of a country bar. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> when we were doing, I'm like, you got to meet my bandmates in Blotto. Because I'm thinking it, it would be great to write with you. And because he wasn't really that active musically. I think he was doing some stuff with string cheese at the time. Yeah. So sure enough, mm-hmm. he changed his flight and 
got to meet Lotto, and we we all just seemed to have a great time together. And so we asked him to write with us, and so he flew in, and Paul, John, and I sat down. What was it, two days or three days, Paul, where we were at our warehouse? It was it was two. Yeah, I think it was two. I think it was two. Right. We just went through a bunch of songs and co-wrote, which became our album, Arlo Shanghai. Wow. And then John and I stayed in touch, and he would fly in Chicago, and I'd pick him up from the airport and just hang out and brought to dinner and stuff like that. And one night he called me, I think a week before he's like, do you want to play with Bobby when he's at the Vic? And I'm like, <laughs> he goes, I know you have a gig that night for Tuesday. I'm like, I'll take care of it. Sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so wow. Amazing. Really in that. Were you on, uh, how, how long were you on stage with Bob? Was it the whole we, show I or just, well, a song or two? He did he did a Monday and Tuesday night in his um, in Chicago. Monday night, I went and saw him. And afterwards, we had invited him to the bar that I mentioned, Griffin's, where Hacking Reeves played. And uh-huh. He called his manager, and he unlocked the bar because it was closed on a Monday night. Like, we got Bob Weir with us. Let's open the bar. So there's like 40 of us. Paul, you were there too, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember it. Yeah. And we all went and hung out with Bob. In, in Griffin's and one of the funniest things I remember he's sitting at the bar I'm like what do you want to drink and he, he looks up there's a display of bottles on the back of the bar like lots of bars do and he points he says give me your dustiest bottle of scotch <laughs> <laughs> it was so, let's look at that real, real dusty bottle up there on the top there yeah. Yeah. that sounds like him that was a good imitation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we we had talked Bob and I about me playing with him on Tuesday night and he he wasn't he was a little apprehensive he said the tour wasn't going as well as he'd hoped which I totally get but sometimes you're feeling it like oh yeah we're on fire and some nights some tours or when when you're traveling through town you're like yeah it's going okay yeah yeah and he said I'm not really sure and uh, the, the more we talked um, he just said, you know what, why don't you show up at Soundcheck at 4.30 tomorrow. So that's what I did. I went to the back at 4.30 in the afternoon. and Peg's like, fine, I'll get up early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, That what a great story. And, um... It was great. So he invited me up for the encore. And it was, it was neat. He announced me by name, and it was just, it was a rush. It was a great time. And then we hung out a little bit backstage. Amazing music, stuff like that. Any uh, any contact with him since then? No, it's funny, but I have met him several times before that. We just uh, when the Dead was touring, I used to I had some friends, a girlfriend of mine had known Bobby really well, so we would hang out at his hotel after Dead shows, and even at further uh-huh. a bit, but. No, no contact since then. But, oh, other than, uh, well, we played with them at 10K Lakes. We opened up a couple of bands before. Oh, uh, when he was playing as Rat Dog? Yes, at Rat Dog. 
We haven't had any contact with him since the restraining order. <laughs> yeah. That's true. We weren't supposed to mention that. We're supposed to not. <laughs> he won't leave me. He won't leave me alone. Yeah. I don't know what. Right. Oh man. Well, hey, it was really great talking to you guys, and have fun tonight at Babes. That is going to be uh, a blast. And right any on. any uh, other um, plans to come back through Harbor Country, livery or. Uh, Maybe uh, people keep squawking about the acorn. I've oh, there, yeah, the acorn is. Uh, so it is. We can call you and hype it with you. Absolutely. Well, that sounds All right. great. All right. Excellent. Yeah, great talking to you guys. Great. And um, All right. uh, look forward really to seeing you around. Yeah, take, it, take care. Right Bye. Yeah. All right, John. Thanks.